All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBonna. And I'm David Uyoa, and with me today is a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Ralph Diaz. Welcome, Ralph. Hello, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Ralph, one, one of the things that we do on this show is, uh, oh, wait, we've already got a comment. My friend in New York, <laughs> Andrew Harriman, yeah. flexing. So uh, we got to have you on one of these days, Andrew. Um, so uh, one of the things that we always do here on the show is we ask how our guests got started with uh, with horror. And I know that you're you're not a like a like a really big horror guy. So mm -hmm. um, is but you have made horror movies too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so maybe you can give us a little bit of background on your your history of horror. Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm more of a, I would say a cult guy, but I, I like a little bit of everything. And then my, uh, my favorite horror movie, if I had to pick one, would probably be Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that's a good one. And I also like a lot of the Giallo films. Yeah. And we talked about those a couple weeks ago. Man, do you, I do love, you have a favorite Giallo? Yes, I love Tenebrae, even though the, the ending makes no sense and I don't care. <laughs> but I they love never it. do. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. How often do they, though, really? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, anything by Argento, the bird with the crystal plumage, yeah. um, you know, uh, deep red, they're, they're all fantastic. Suspiria. Ah, Suspiria. The, the, the way I got into it is uh, I'm, I'm, I always have sort of like a black humor type of sense of humor. So the two movies I had done, technically, well, one is is like a horror, uh, one's a horror comedy. I mean, definitely. And the other one is, I don't know if you would call it horror per se. It's called Sharkinsaw Women's Prison Massacre. So <laughs> it's more of a, it's kind of like, a, yeah, like it's I, I was delayed there because the entire name of that movie was still processing. It, it like, I was like, I know all of those words individually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Sharkinsaw as in Arkansas, Women's Prison Massacre. So it's a women's prison movie with a prehistoric underground shark so it, how much did sci-fi pay you for that one well that that was our target we, we thought we're gonna make this for sci-fi we're, we're, we're gonna get it to them and they didn't buy it so but it went Aww. to blu-ray so yeah director blu-ray and then there you um, go. vod man i produced that one the director was jim winorski that he's his uh claim to fame is he is roger corman's most prolific director he's done like oh more really than 50 movies for roger corman yeah his big one was um uh, chopping mall okay and he was the first one who gave tracy lords a uh, a legitimate role like a movie role so ah. before crybaby yeah 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 um, so really? and then tracy before... lords okay. is in shark and saw as a matter of fact so excellent very interesting. 
And then my second movie, the, the last one, was the one that was on Showtime. That one's called uh, <laughs> Attack of the Killer Donuts. So that one is definitely a horror comedy. And it's yeah. literally donuts that they, and they kill you. So <laughs> Got that Showtime cred. That's, and it's that's on classic. Amazon Prime now. So, hey. Got <laughs> All <Amazon> right. Prime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so oh, that's, that's my, my dipping my toe into that. So our, our, first, our first guest with an actual horror resume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> moving up in the world. Yeah. Uh, so we, we've got a couple comments here. Uh, we've got uh, Andrew Harriman says, hey, Ralph. So, o- only to you, not yes. to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I can What's go up, fly dude? a kite. <laughs> uh, we got Frank Kowalski sending good vibes. Thank you, Mr. Kowalski. That's very kind of you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Julian, <laughs> Mr. Diaz. <laughs> so thanks uh thanks for coming in guys i appreciate that so um we like to start with an overview of the movie right um this is one of those rare horror movies and and it, it really doesn't fit into that horror box perfectly it's it's very much a like multi-genre film uh but it has like pretty much universal acclaim like the critics love this movie. You go on to both Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, and and this thing is like ridiculously. I believe Rotten Tomatoes has got it at a ninety. Yeah, that's that's but absurd. The cover has a little certified fresh thing. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it it and um and the fans seem to like it too, although not as much as as the critics do for some reason. Um, so this is really like a weird movie. But do you feel that this deserves that acclaim? Um, is there anything in particular, like in, in a general sense, without going into too much detail, that kind of you know, struck you about this movie, either the first time you saw it or in subsequent watchings? Ralph, you want to go first? Sure. I mean, I saw it in the theaters, in uh, Gable's the, uh, Cinema and uh, Midnight Movie. And the crowd, it was packed. And it's funny to see the difference in, in age groups. I mean... I think for us, Nick Cage was is still a legitimate actor. Yeah. But now for the younger generation, he's kind of like entered that Eric Roberts kind of like B-movie guy. So they don't know the old Nick Cage. And they went bonkers when this thing was on. I mean, there are certain parts of like the Cheddar Goblin. I remember they went crazy. <laughs> and when he takes, you know, certain things. I mean, they were really into this movie, which is a great movie experience. I mean, you, you definitely got to see it in, in the theaters. I mean, I saw it now again right right now to, to refresh. And even though you see the the, the filmmaking, because it's a well-made film. I mean, it's batshit crazy, but it's well-made. <laughs> but to see it with, you know, 200 other people, yeah, it's really... I, I highly recommend it if they ever start playing it again, or if it becomes like kind of like a midnight movie thing, definitely go see it. I I think that um, with time, this will definitely be one of those movies that find finds its way back into theaters repeatedly. Yeah, I, uh, I like to think that it's eventually going to start showing up in like like places that still have drive-ins. Like this seems yeah. like a great like oh, man, you yeah. know like lead-in. Like if you've got something new out that's kind of wild, this is the one you open with, and then you show the new one. I, I I think that's a pretty pretty good assessment of the future. Uh, Daniel, so. Daniel, what about you? Uh, so this was my first full time seeing this movie. The first time I saw it, it was something where I was you know 
kind of late into the night, had a few beverages and was like, oh yeah, Mandy, and did not make it through it, did not make it very far into it at all, honestly. Um, man, this movie was nuts. Like I was texting Dave 15 <laughs> minutes in and I was like, dude, what am I getting myself into? And he literally, his exact quote was, hang on lady, we go for ride. <laughs> um, this, this was, this was, it was insane. It was a lot of fun. It was, it was decently predictable while being outrageously unpredictable. Um, there's at its core, this is a revenge film. And, uh, you know, you can draw a lot of parallels from this movie to, you know, death wish and things like that. Um, but in the, in the delivery, it is very much a, a horror film, which was, it was an interesting take on it. Um, there's some, there's some drastic shifts and it, it all seems to work. Um, and we're going to talk, you know, characters and, and performances and stuff like that. But man, out of the gate, look, there's, there's two, there, there's a lot of levels to Nick Cage, right? You know, he's, he, he's, but my favorite Nick Cage is Nick Cage on 11. Nick Cage when he's all the way in. Like you can, you can take Sideways and Bad Lieutenant and Captain Corelli and sh shove all that right up your ass. Like I don't care about any of that stuff. Like when I watch, when I watch Nick Cage, when I see, when I watch Nick Cage, I want Con Air. I want bringing, bring out your dead. Uh, oh, yeah. I want Drive Angry. And man, this delivered all of that it was it was incredible there are moments in this that remind me of, of leaving las vegas there are moments in this that remind me of drive angry there's he this was this was nick cage's entire career condensed into into one movie and it and it all worked it, it was uh it was it was it was it was it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun yeah i i think that um that sort of being able to go over the top while still knowing that he hasn't tapped into everything that he has to give yet. Right. Is like it added a sense of realism to it. It's weird because this movie is incredibly surreal. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a comic book, right? Yes. Very pulpy, uh, very pulpy. And yet there's, there's a real human aspect to it because he keeps that, that over the top, you know, like, um, like if we were to see Superman do the things that he does in comics in real life, that would be horrifying. I think. <laughs> right? um, so, uh, so we, we, we see him do these things in, in a movie and, and they keep it comic booky. It has to be over the top because the moment it starts to get real, then it's like, Holy shit, there's an alien here that could destroy our world with like a sneeze. Right. Uh, and and there was that sort of understated human aspect to his acting, uh, which when, when we get to it, um, you know, there's one scene in particular that that I, I always gravitate towards. Uh, but that I think is is one of the things that stood out. That and and the actual filmmaking quality of it. There's yes. uh, there's so much that went into the script, into the, the like what is actually in frame. And what's not, and the and and the lighting. This is just it to me. This transcends, uh, like cinema and, and becomes art. Uh, and and it's kind of weird to think of uh, an action adventure horror revenge comedy because there is some humor in this as yes. well, right? Uh, as as being art, and yet I I think it I think it gets there. So, um. 
So that's that's kind of where I stand. <laughs> you you can kind of figure out where 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 I'm gonna rate this. You know, yeah. going off of that. And so you know what what's interesting about this movie is so often when we when we do this podcast, you know, and we we've done a little bit, but we've. We, per- we specifically chose this movie because we've come off a month of doing slashers where it's all just pretty straightforward. Um, so now we get a movie that tells a very compelling story that while being tale as old as time, um, you know, guy has girl, guy loses girl, guy goes on rampage to avenge girl. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's oddly, it's, it's oddly unique while also almost completely feeling like an homage. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's little bits of everything that go on there. So from the story perspective, which is something we don't talk about a lot, and it's been a little while. I think the last time we really addressed the story was probably Crimson Peak. How mm-hmm. do you feel that this, this film stands as, as a story when we're just looking at the, 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 the tale that's laid before us in this, Dave? So I, I, I think you're right in that a, a lot of the story is just like... Uh, it's it's pastiche. It's it's this patchwork thing of it's like I, I I really like Death Wish and I really like Friday the Thirteenth. Right? They live near Crystal. Yeah, Lake, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and there's there's this. It's almost like a throwaway line. When spoiler alert, uh, Nick Cage is killing uh, Linus Roach's character um, uh, Jeremiah. Right? And uh, Jeremiah is trying to you know bully him into keeping him alive essentially and he mentions that he's like this conduit for god and um it, the the exact line that he says i wrote it down he says i'm your god now and it reminded me so much of a nightmare on elm street you yeah know, that very first time that we meet freddy krueger you know and he lifts the the claws and he says this is god you know it's it, there's there's so many throwbacks to these movies that the Panos Cosmatos you know, grew up with that we all grew up with. And I don't think that it's a rather unique story, but I think that because of what went into how the story is told, it makes this something incredibly unique where the, the focus is not so much on the revenge itself. Um, at, at the end of the day, I don't know that he's gotten um, his revenge, but he has gotten closure. That I know. That I know he gets. Right. So for for me, I don't even know that this was uh, like payback for what they did. I, I I saw this as therapy for himself, as as this like cathartic act. Every time that he took another life, uh, you know, it was blood for blood like uh like the uh what do they call them the the black the black skulls yes right the way they say you know it, it must be blood for blood and i that's the way i saw it uh so as far as plot i don't think there's much there but i think there's enough to string together these amazing tableaus that that panos has this incredible vision for and in fact if, if you watch any of the special features that that are on the dvd he talks about this he says i don't care about story Uh, if if you've seen this and you've seen uh, beyond the black rainbow you know he doesn't really care about story but but he does care how he tells that story and and that's that's exactly what you get here 
Ralph, what do you think, man? Uh, I think definitely you see, like I said before, it's a well-made movie. I mean, there's there's a lot of technique and a lot of layers. And, and the fact that it takes place in 1983, it really does take place in that year because you get a, a big time. I got a big time Conan the Barbarian vibe. Mm-hmm. I got like Mad Max, obviously, but also um, Heavy Metal. Like yes, when he uses the, the, the animation, I think it's fantastic. I think it's great where where, where he where he takes us. And I think that uh, at the end, though, when he does kill Jeremiah, it's almost like he, like there is a closure. Definitely, his reaction to it because usually he's just like and rabid, mm-hmm. but it's almost like a like like he you know he breathes or like. I don't know if he like ejaculates, but it, it comes a little close. To him, <laughs> yeah, you know? and yeah like when there, there's has, a shot uh, where, he, where yeah. they're showing him from behind after he's literally yeah. crushed his head, and it's like, yeah, that was, mm, yeah. I but could, it's yeah. almost like, yeah, he's he's done. He's, there's, yeah, there's a release. There's a release yes, there. <laughs> definitely a release. Yeah, I, I love the movie because of that because it's and and I think that it has to have a little dirt on it. Like I think, and you guys are horror uh, f- uh, guys. You tell me when a horror movie is redone and gets too much of a budget, it loses something. And I think oh, Halloween yeah. is a good example of that, where it's just it's just too polished. It's just I, I'm I'm not it's a movie. Where this this film, even though it's well made, I'm there. It we're watching this. It's not a movie. I mean even the the set design and when he's in the Black Skull's lair, mm-hmm. that's not like some, you know, like an art director put these things there. It looks real. Yeah, like na- the nastiness, the funk—you could almost, you could taste it or smell it. There has to be a certain amount of like dirt and funk on it, and this movie definitely has that. I yeah. like that about it. I, I think, I think when, when we when we look at the story here, and I, I think that Dave said it best, where it's necessarily you don't know that it it stops being about revenge at a certain point and just becomes about closure. And in the final scene of this movie, um, it, it's. Instead of taking that moment where he just has some sort of like heroes for what farewell and drives off into the sunset, his 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 closure, his finale is they do this amazing thing where he's driving and he envisions his girlfriend, still or wife or whichever she was, sitting next to him, uh, Mandy, and mm-hmm. and they they cut to him and he's all and he's like he's he's, he's he's smiling and he's all clean and he's happy and then in like the blink of an eye. It cuts and you see him like wide eyed, like, you know, just head full of acid, covered in blood, just just glaring out this window. And there's this realness to it that's like, okay, in his head, like he probably feels better. But this is the result of what he went through. Like this guy is tripping balls, covered in blood, just (laughs) murdered an insane number of people. And this is his reality now. There, there, there wasn't this like happy, yay, everybody's better, and 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 I've avenged you. It was like, yeah, I took care of what I got to take care of, and you know, now <laughs> I don't know how long I'm going to be high, but I'm going to drive until it's over. Um, you know, so there's there's the 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 sto- the, the story outline. Right. That that's where that's where, you know, like I said, nothing incredibly unique here. We, we've all seen people do the revenge thing over and over and over again. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's the it's the details in the way that he gets his revenge and, and in the story. And uh, when you look at the actual story, one thing I noticed while watching this movie is it is remarkably light on two things that are usually huge in films, dialogue and plot. 
Yeah. Like there's, there's yeah. not a lot of either one of those things. I think the longest conversation in the entire movie is him and Bill Duke. And, and like, they're yeah. just kind of bullshitting for a little while. And then he like, there's one, the only bit of exposition anywhere in the movie is Bill Duke telling the story of the, maybe they're demons. Like uh, <laughs> LSD, uh, the guys who were just high on LSD all the time um, and uh, and riding motors like ATVs and dirt bikes and stuff through the woods. Like that's the only bit of exposition anywhere in this movie. What's unique about this compared to so many of the things that we've talked about is the movie lets the the movie tell the story. And by that, I mean, it's, it's the experience of watching the movie is how, yeah, there we go. Yeah, Frank, they, they were very Cenobite-ish. Um, I actually, my, my first thought was they look like Guar roadies or maybe the members <laughs> of Guar. Um, but uh, yeah, they were, they were, there was definitely uh, Cenobite tendencies there. But uh, this film allows the, the movie, just, just the experience of watching the movie tells the story. We're never just sitting down and, and having long conversations about anything or, you know, like the, the dialogue, the, the whole, the whole beginning uh, when he's just with his girlfriend, like while you're just learning that this is their relationship, it's not overly, ex you know, they're not explaining things like, uh, can't believe we've been living in this house for eight years and never yeah. had a problem. Yeah. You know, like they, <laughs> they just completely leave all that stuff out. And it's just like, Hey, this is what a real relationship's like buckle up and let's see what happens. And that is something that I don't think happens enough in movies where you just get to live the story. You're not told the story you watch and you experience and, and your viewing is part of the story, right? It's it's that it's that concept of, of older theater where part of the story is the fact that you're there to experience it. And I think that that is something that I walked away from this movie just uh, enamored with was the fact that I I felt like I was part of it because I was just thrust into it. There were there was no voiceover. There was nobody ever telling me what was going to happen next or what had happened in the past. I was just dropped off in a moment and I was left to experience this film with Nick Cage. And that was incredible. I, I think a lot of that has to do with um, the camera work because that camera never moves. Right. Uh, it's it's always static. It's uh, whether it's on a tripod or or it's uh, it's 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 on a dolly or something, you know, just to to facilitate, you know, panning or something like that. You never see a camera uh, that's handheld or, or a camera on someone's shoulder walking around with these characters. It gives it almost like a documentary type feel, uh, which adds to that realism. And and we what you end up getting is is this uh, you know sort of uh, cinema verite right where it's like I've I've been dropped into this scene everything that I am watching uh, as this you know uh, omniscient you know third person is uh, is is the story and and there is nothing that you're going to hide from me. Right. We, we were, we were, we were thrust into the role of Uatu, right? Like exactly. we can, we, we can see what's happening. We're experiencing <laughs> it. We, we feel what he's feeling, but we can't do anything to change it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Kowalski, I, um, I, I wrote down exactly the same thing. I said, black skulls equals Cenobites. Question mark. <laughs> and, and then next to it, horn of Abraxas equals Lamarchand box. 
question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and our buddy Seth is hey, here. Hey, Seth. Hey, he says, Cinema Verite. Ooh la la. <laughs> yeah. Wee, wee, wee. And that's, uh, you know, voulez um, beaucoup chez avec quoi. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the extent of my French. It's always so, um, so I, I as we as we move on, I, I think the the performances in in this movie, I, there's not very many actors in this really. There's there's very few roles uh, to speak of. How how does that translate on screen? Um, Daniel, you want to go first? So that's when I open. That's 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 the selling point of this movie, right? It's like, do you like Nick Cage? Do you like Nick Cage in all his forms? All right, well, here they all are, right? <laughs> like this is the, like you you watch him go from your 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 bad lieutenant, your Captain Corelli at the beginning, to you see him, you know, fly completely off the handle. Um, and actually, if we could pop up Frank's comment right here. This is the scene that when I said earlier, uh, Fra mm -hmm. Frank Kowalski says the bathroom scene is my favorite. This Absolutely. is like that. That looked like that looked like uh, like a really freaky like uh, like uh, deleted scene from Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. Right. Like he he <laughs> he he walks in. He's he's covered in blood, but he's just in his tidy whities and he's just slugging vodka and pouring it on his wounds and stuff. And it's like. This is from the really even darker side of leaving Las Vegas that we didn't see. <laughs> um, and we get that and you get that that Nick Cage scream, right? That that's that that's what that, that's that's what you pay the money for, right? right. It, the Nick Cage's scream is what puts the and and but he builds to it. Like he starts off and he's just angry and or and, and he's he's hurt and he's scared, and then it and then it builds into like this this guttural, just primeval thing where he's realizing everything that has been done to him and everything he's about to do. And, and like you watch guy who just, you know, a couple hours before was just asleep in bed. You watch him become, you know, drive angry, like Nick Cage, where it's like <laughs> nothing else matters. All that matters now is that everyone that I've seen in the past hour, who's not dead will be dead. Um, you, you get and so the the Nick Cage performance notwithstanding, you get just so many the little bits that you get of these people. Um, the 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 main lady, like the the matriarch, I guess, yeah. of this Manson esque family. Um, just a couple of times that that we get her, we kind of get to see like the weird amounts of insanity that are involved in her. We get this amazing, you know, we were talking, you were talking earlier about the pastiche of it pulling from different movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, and to pull from real life, this guy's obviously a, a Charles Manson uh, exactly. analog. You know, he's got a failed music career. He's, he's just trying to, he's trying to fuck, right? Like he's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to run a cult. He's trying to get off. And, uh, and so, but I mean that, uh, that guy just uh, wrote, right. Yeah, Linus yeah. Roach. Yeah, yeah, just gives this amazing, amazing performance, and in, in his in his little bit of time, um, from when you see him, the the thing that got me the very first time you see him, he's like he's laying in bed, and you're kind of wondering like, is he sickly? Like, what's happening? And he's like saying that he needs somebody else from the cult, and then his voice changes, and it's almost like the voice of another person mm -hmm. shoots out of him. Um, and it was like, oh, okay, maybe we are dealing with something supernatural or I, I'm, this is, this is all staying very weird. I can't even say getting very weird. It, it's all just staying <laughs> very weird. 
Um, there's a couple of people in who don't even have any lines. Still, ama- still, uh, still uh, managed to give amazing performances. One guy's entire character is watch me drag out this six foot chainsaw from behind this group of logs, and I'm like, <laughs> that guy's fucking amazing. Where's his Oscar? <laughs> um, it's just, and like that, that's that's all his character building. I'm like, and I'm here for it. It's everybody gave a hundred percent to this whether they whether their their character revolved around the things that they said whether their characters revolved around their actions whether their character was their costume they still all gave everything they had this is a movie you can watch and see that everyone involved was so on board with the director's vision that it was incredible to see what everybody did in this and, and everything that they've got here. And I'm, I, I know I'm saying way too much and you guys want to talk too, but the, the, the performances are absolutely what sell this movie. Rob? Definitely. in the bathroom scene, uh, I think it's what you're, what you're saying that people have, uh, filmmakers have forgotten that it's, you know, it's a visual medium. Show me, don't tell me. And a lot of movies now treat the audience like idiots or 14 year olds or 12 year olds, where you got to explain everything where, Nick Cage's character in, in Mandy is an alcoholic. How do we know that? Does he tell us? Does he have a little chip that says sober? No. In the helicopter, the guy offers him a beer, and he says no. And you're like, hmm, that's weird. Okay. And then when he's looking in the bathroom for that vodka bottle, you put it together. This guy's alcoholic. He's, right. he's, he's, he's about to go off the, the wagon. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and um, the actors, the fact that they, they aren't well-known names, that's what really – makes them now they're those characters it's not oh it's ben affleck playing a crazy guy no it's not it's some guy we've never known maybe he is that crazy you know and and that's what brings to that's what i like about these kind of movies again the lower budgets where you you don't bring in names just to bring in names and then you can't you know you can't get around it it's like i'm watching freaking ben affleck man i can't i don't care if he puts on a fake nose or (laughs) or a costume you know it's it's him you know So that uh, Sidney Lumet in his book talks about that, the difference that sometimes you have to cast nobodies. And really, the original Star Wars, who were those guys? Nobodies. They were nobodies. Harrison Ford was a carpenter. I mean, you know, the other guy was a nobody also. And then, But then sometimes uh, Lumet says it's the flip side and it's the Ocean Eleven thing where it's like then you – it's all about the cast and you right. want to live through them, you know, where, but this kind of movie, that's what you want. You want them to be the characters. I don't want to know who these people are. I want them to be these, these freaks. And definitely the performances are all fantastic. I mean, like, like I said, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm in a movie. I'm watching these guys and they look like cult guys. I mean, but, this Linus uh, guy, I don't know what else he's done, but he was fantastic in that. And the thing is, I know I've seen him before and I haven't bothered to look it up, but he's, he's that guy who you've seen in that thing. Right, right. <laughs> That's how I yeah. felt about the chemist. Like when I saw the chemist, Richard yeah. Drake. Yeah, well, yeah. He, I, I was like, I, I know I, this I, guy I from t- something. I can tell you where I know him from, uh, and I saw it after I saw this, and yet I still felt like I knew him the first time I saw Mandy. Uh, but where I know him from is Three from Hell. There it is. Yep. Yeah, oh, he's. No, I don't know. Uh, that. Yeah, it's the the sequel to the sequel. <laughs> yeah, uh, Devil's, Devil's Rejects. Rejects. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have Timothy Downing here saying, love the bathroom scene. The way it's shot is pure documentary supporting what, what you're saying here, Ralph. You can almost feel the camera operator being like, what the fuck is going to happen? 
No, I agree. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, and then, and also what I love about this movie, again, it's very 1983 because as decades change, and we can all attest to this, it's not a clear cut, boom, hey, we're in the 90s. Hey, we're in the 2000s. They kind of blend. And 83, you still see these guys are kind of living in the 70s. They just know it's the 80s yet. And the vibe right. I get, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if, if you're gonna be able to understand what I'm saying. Maybe David, you, I don't know, you're a little younger, but to me, it's a very youth fair vibe. There's like a county fair. The, the, the Dade yeah. County Youth Fair is our, our county fair, and I guess it's my memories of like '83 to like '70s when I was even smaller. And it was these kind of characters, these kind of weird like hippies, but they're not hippies, and it's like I don't know that that vibe. And he really captures it in this movie, and the linoleum in that bathroom, damn. That's that's the seventies, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's you know, like for 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 all the flack I always get for the wallpaper here behind me in uh, my recording studio <laughs> kitchen, the wallpaper in that bathroom, it's like I could be recording there. So you're welcome, America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Eighty three is is almost like this transition year for uh, particularly for for action movies, I think. And there's there's many elements of action in this, right? Because you think about like First Blood. Right. First Blood is is not really an action movie in the way that we think of like the 80s action films. According to it's, Geek it, More, it's a survival film. Uh, I put it as a survival <laughs> film. And, and, and I stand by that statement. But that's because it follows more of the 70s like action thriller um, kind of uh, mold than it does the 80s action blockbuster mold. And then when you finally get to First Blood Part 2... I can't remember if it's 83 or 84. Now you're getting more of that like classic 80s cheese in your yeah. in, in, in your action. Um, there were a couple things that really stood out to me in in the performances. And some of this has to do with the performance. Some of it has to do with uh, makeup. But I, I kind of felt like part of the reason why. Why Red had to go on this this journey for. Uh, for closure was that they kind of saved each other, Mandy and, and he, right. Um, she's, she's got this like nasty scar on her face. Right. And um, Andrea Reisbau is, uh, I mean, she's, she's a pretty, she's a pretty woman. Uh, but, but that scar is obviously like something happened to her and we don't know what it is that's happened, but the scar indicates that, there was probably, I mean, what my assumption is, is there was some sort of domestic violence. Right. right? And, and he saved her from this, right? He, on the flip side, has got all this like darkness welled up in him, right? What I see in that, in that bathroom scene is number one, it's like this, the gamut of emotions, Right. He, he's he's feeling grief. He's feeling anger. He's feeling grief again. He's accepting that grief and he's letting go. But I don't think he's letting go of the grief. He's letting go of this control that he's had over this darkness for possibly the last eight years. Right. There's obviously something about Mandy that makes men fall in love with her right away. And 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 he, I think, wanted to be a better man for her. And, and so th I, I see this in, in that connection that they have. And at the end of the movie, when, when she appears to him again, and we see that sort of like twisted, demented smile on his face, right? 
to me, that's that's what that was. It was like, you know, you're, you're here again. You've saved me again. And I can I can leave this darkness behind again because you've been avenged because this whole ordeal has been wiped clean now. Well, and, and to your point of of her saving him, you know, with with this idea of the fact that he's an alcoholic, we eventually get that little flashback of, you know, what we again, allowing a, the story to be told through seeing we get this flashback that we, you know, assume is the first time they see each other. And he, mm-hmm. they're like in a bar and he's sitting there drinking and smoking and stuff like that. And the only times we see him smoke in the movie at one point, he smoked and he flicks it after like two drags. Right. Yeah. So it's like, OK, maybe, you know, so something's trying to quit but then later on he picks one up from one of the guys when he's in just you know just full-blown descent and so again you get this idea of well maybe you know she did save him and that's why he had to go to the bathroom to get this vodka because it's not in the house anymore it is something that he had hidden from a a previous time right yeah and he Uh, he lights the second cigarette off a flaming skull by the way oh it's it's hell yeah it's such a great great moment And I gets and and then and gets that amazing drag that if 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 you've if you've never been a smoker, like it just every once in a while, you know, like it'll it'll come like if you've been drinking and haven't had a cigarette for a while, or you know that postcoital cigarette. Just every <laughs> once in a while, you get that cigarette that hits just right, and you can tell Nick Cage is a guy who has smoked and knows how to enjoy a cigarette because he lights <laughs> that thing on that guy's skull and he gets that drag, and you just you just see the elation see it in his on his face, face. and it's yeah. like oh. I've had that cigarette before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that it's that moment of uh, of peace before, yeah. and, and tranquility before moving on to the next one because there's there's always a next one. Yeah, always the next one, right? Yeah, uh, and you know something else about the the perform just the performances, the story, um, just that idea of of allowing of just allowing us to figure it out. I love that we're just like thrust into this and we're like yeah this motherfucker knows how to make a badass axe and he can do it yeah. on demand <laughs> like it's like oh, okay yeah let me let me go to bill duke's house where i hide my crossbow that i called the reaper and then <laughs> let me and then let me go back to my house where i apparently have all of the stuff i need to blacksmith a dope ass axe like, <laughs> by, by the way the, the fact that he is friends with bill duke yeah, right? means, means to me that he was like into some shit because bill duke always played like badass commando type characters right right? so these guys were probably in the service in in the 70s or something right running fucking covert ops in vietnam or some shit And, (laughs) and 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 they come back and who knows what skills this guy has that's why he's able to fucking decapitate some guy with the same axe that he just fucking made an hour ago in his garage you know yeah it's like not only can he make it but he can wield it yeah, <laughs> that's something that I was going to bring up that uh, another subtlety that they don't hit you over the head with it. If you if you figure his age and the year, he could easily be a Vietnam vet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and uh, to bring in Bill Duke also, I had forgotten he was in this. He's great in this thing. <laughs> and it's what you said. The little exposition there is, is so it, it's not over your head and it's so great. Because it's yeah. Bill Duke, and the lines they exchange are great. Oh, when he tells him that uh, the arrows he made, yeah, they'll go through uh through bone like a fat kid through cake. I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. Or he's like, "What are you hunting?" And he's like, "Jesus freaks." And Jesus Duke, freaks. Like, <laughs> I love that so much. Not not cultist. Not the yeah. people who killed my girlfriend. Jesus freaks. Love it. And and Bill Duke's reaction is just like Stone Cold. And he's like, "I didn't know they were in season." <laughs> 
You know, <laughs> just that's one good line after the other. In the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Kowalski comes in. Cough, cough. Predator. Cough, cough. Yeah. Um, Damn right. That that might be Bill Duke's best performance. Um, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna have me some fun. I'm gonna <laughs> have me some fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So oh, on, on top of on top of a story that we're not beating over the head with performances that are amazing from everybody involved, we get a score from this from uh, I pro- I'm trying not to massacre this name Johan Johansson Johan Johansson I believe is how you pro- is I, how I it's think pronounced. that's it yeah uh, to to any of his family members who may be watching I apologize. <laughs> um, we we get this score that's that's very synth heavy that's that's uh amazingly again like when we when we when i when i talked about the story i said it it feels unique and it feels homage at the same time Mm -hmm. this feels amazingly period and and seems like it should fit perfectly in the 80s while also kind of feeling current so like how do you think the the score uh either added or took away from this movie ralph uh, I think again to bring back the giallo uh, sensibility. I mean, uh, I, I forgot what was the name of that band that there, there was one band that did a lot of giallo films. Goblin. And it, it, yes, Goblin. Yes, that's the one. That's right. the vibe. I, I was talking to somebody before, and I was like, you know what this movie is? This movie is a a, a metal album cover come to life. And I think the, yes. the music is, you know, because even when she's kind of like wandering through the woods, it's kind of like Frazetti and very fantasy like. Mm-hmm. And when she draws, it's uh, but the music is fantastic. And it always brings it's always they bring it at the right time. Again, I keep saying it's not cinematic. And it's like, oh, and, and uh, David was saying that it's very a uh, documentary. But it is a well-made film because he he brings it in. He brings in the score when he needs it, and then he takes it back. And he like you know, and it and it's it's fantastic the the way they use it. And it's also very like uh like Drive. The movie Drive is very synth and very yeah. '80s. Also, even though that's not supposed to be the '80s, but I love the music. Yeah, music and the color, fantastic. Dave, yeah, um, there's there's this idea um, that some 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 musicians can um can see music in colors right synesthesia yeah um and 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 i definitely feel that way here like like the colors constantly match what's going on uh with synthesizers coming in and out guitars coming in and out um and it it manages like you said to sound like a throwback like this very easily could have been any one of John Carpenter's scores, uh, be it uh, Escape from New York or The Fog or uh, you know The Thing or something like that, but it also has a very modern quality to it, uh, where uh, almost like Stranger Things, right? There where it where yeah. it's like um, it is it is modern interpretation of retro music. And and I think that it suits it really well because it suits its um, its art direction, because although it feels period, it is a nostalgic view on that period. It isn't authentic to the 80s. It is a recreation of what we remember the 80s being. It's neon soaked. There's synthesizers everywhere. There's leather and mullets. And there's Cenobites on motorcycles, right? <laughs> this this is 
this is the memories that we've constructed of the 80s and and the 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 synth score is is so much representative of that and uh it's really unfortunate that that the composer died shortly after this movie was uh oh i don't know was, was made yeah I, I, this it's, may have was or was or this may have been released posthumously this may have been the last thing that he released i think it actually came out after he passed yeah uh it's dedicated to him yeah um it was uh, i was reading up on it it's a it's a very weird mixture of um i think it was like some over-the-counter prescription medication and like something else that mixed and just you know kind of like bruce lee you know right uh, one of these things that shouldn't happen and and yet it did uh to to me the 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 score is a good portion of why i watch this movie so often uh and it's it's the the kind of thing that were i ever to find it on vinyl I would probably buy it and and listen to it on repeat here. In fact, I'm I'm gonna search for it right now. Uh, <laughs> while, while you give us your uh... <laughs> yeah, so um, you 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 absolutely hit the nail on the head with a point that I was gonna drive home. Um, I, I have a good buddy named Jeff who loves when he likes a lot. He likes the idea of a lot of '80s music, but not the way that it was actually produced in the '80s. So um, he like uh, Weezer recently did an album of, of a ton of '80s covers, um, and and we were talking about how so many of them are so good, and 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 it's you know it's always you're always towing that line of blasphemy talking about whether or not something's better than the original, but they managed to do ex they managed to do exactly what you're talking about and what happened here which is give you the idealized version of what happened in the 80s um without that that twinge of 80s production that can sometimes just be too much and and that's what we got out of this you're absolutely right what we got was this uh, you know, I, there's a philosopher, I want to say Aristotle, who's like, you know, there's, there's three versions of everything, right? Like there's the idea of a chair and then there's the actual chair and then there's the, the act of sitting in a chair. And so while there's the, there's the actual, you know, I, there's the actual thing that is 80 synth music. What we get here is an, a fully formed version of that idealized, what we have in our head as, as 80s synth music. Um, and you, you get, you get this guy who is obviously very aware of not only what it should sound like, but also the things that, that people didn't like and how he could make just these little tweaks mm -hmm. that would make it better. Um, and, and Ralph, you made the point of it's, it's so perfectly timed. And it's 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 overwhelming when it should be overwhelming. It's when the music is overwhelming. It's because there are scenes in this movie that are full blown sensory overload, and they don't they're relentless with the visuals and the audio simultaneously. And so there's a scene <laughs> there's there's a scene where um, after he kills all of the maybe they're demons. Um, and he, he finds like a mason jar oh, in the, the jar. middle of this <laughs> house and he's like, man, fuck it. Right. And he just like sticks his finger in it, touches it to his tongue. And then we get a full blown Raiders of the lost Ark face melting. There's a <laughs> yeah. nuclear bomb going off in the background and they just pound you 
with this synth. And it's like you get you get four and a half seconds of complete and total sensory overload. And then when it's over, you're not sure if you're sober anymore. And so they, but then in, but then there's a scene where they first see Mandy, uh, the, the cult sees Mandy and you just get this really like dulcet tones of them watching her go by slowly. And some, uh, some of the cinematography that, that we'll get to in a little bit, but that happens in that too. But the music so perfectly fits that. And it's still this synth music but you're 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 feeling and you're you're just you're just there in the moment and it fits so perfectly <laughs> the for, uh, Frank Kowalski calls it the forbidden LSD jar just just so we're clear shiver doesn't condone LSD uh, uh, I mean LSD is what it is but uh, the use of LSD they should all be forbidden all right just, <laughs> just want to make that clear <laughs> hey man if you want to do acid do acid but be safe about it right that's like, right uh, don't just, don't go driving and, right. and certainly don't try to uh to make an axe don't forge an axe plan your evening around doing acid don't like do acid <laughs> and then try to go do something like get some friends just have a road map for what your day is going to be and hopefully it doesn't involve any actual roads. Um, but <laughs> it's they they do so much with this. And what's what's always fascinating to me about synth music, not just in this in this movie, is and, and I I'm a music fan. Um, I am not a I'm not a guy who makes music, but I'm always fascinated by how on its surface, surface level synth music playing in the background, and you're not paying attention to it. It all kind of sounds the same, but then I'm always fascinated by the fact that when when I'm paying attention to synth music, the 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 details that go into making what is just the same kind of tones portrayed differently. It very like synth music very much becomes that idea of you know rock and roll's three chords and look at what we've been right. doing for it for decades. <laughs> synth is you know doing that with a guitar, right? So and I'm just <laughs> I. I, I I, I love when I'm watching something like this and the music always feels familiar to something that was happening earlier, but it's just different enough that I know it's setting a different mood. It, it I, I, I understand that point um, because I, I really love synthwave music. And, and that's the sort of thing where if I'm working, I'll normally put on some synthwave because it's, uh, it's mostly instrumental and I won't get distracted by, uh, by vocals. And uh, for me, it's kind of calming. But um, that's the complaint I get from from my wife and from my friends all the time. When whenever I have it on, it's like, uh, okay, we've been listening to the same song for thirty minutes now. I'm like, no, dude, we've we've heard like two <laughs> two different records over here. So, um, but I, I think if you listen to to a lot of the different synth music that's uh, that's used in in these movies, uh, like the, the major ones that come to me are, uh, it, two movies that I absolutely love turbo kid and, uh, summer of 84, uh, both of them done by, um, a Canadian group called Lamatos. And even though it's the same group, because the movies have such different feel, you know, one is sort of like an, uh, uh, an action adventure movie. And the other one, is is more of like a, a horror thriller it's totally different sounding and and i venture that if you were to throw mandy's score up there against any of the other you know techno heavy scores that are out there today you would be able to distinguish it yeah um 
you know, uh, guys like Junkie XL, who who are making you know synth scores to like big budget movies like like Mad Max, like it sounds nothing like this, and and it's it, it lends to this movie an identity all its own. Right, and it's and it's worth mentioning that I mean, this guy um, before he passed was Oscar nominated for uh, Sicario and Theory of Everything. So I mean, he's oh, wow. obviously a dude who knew what he was doing. Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. as as we as we talk score, we we've talked all these things. So what we get to now is the the direction of this movie and the mm-hmm. cinematography, which you know, like I, I'm glad we're getting to this while we still got a chunk of you know what is this podcast in our normal time frame left because (laughs) when when you look at this movie for all of the things that we've talked about how the story you're allowed to live the story and things like that that all boils down to the direction and the experience boils down to the cinematography so what are it what are what are the what makes this movie feel so different and so striking when you're talking about the cinematography and the direction dave um there's little things that Cosmatos does with the camera that aren't immediately um known. You kind of have to watch this a couple times. And I know he's a big fan of Kubrick and even if I hadn't heard him say this in a special feature, I kind of would have guessed it because Kubrick was a guy who used literally every frame of film to paint a picture and uh we we talked about this in the shining and i don't even think the shining is anywhere near his best movie um but one of the things that to me stood out this time around and this is the third maybe fourth time i've seen this movie is that just about every time that mandy is on screen she is center frame she doesn't go off to the side of the screen and, and wherever she moves, the camera pans with her. And it's one of those ways of telling a story visually. This, this story, she's at the center of it, right? She's at the center of your screen. She's at the, at the center of Red's life and, and, and his, his behavior throughout the movie, be it rational or irrational. She's at the center of jeremiah's story here it all roads lead back to mandy and that's that's that sort of visual language that to me sticks out and and i think holy fuck this guy's a genius right to 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 keep her physically in the center of the shot every time we see her even when she's laying in bed with red She's still in the center of the screen. Red is off to the, the to the right. right of the screen, you know, and that's not normally how how you frame these shots, right? Um, it, when they're laying down on the couch, she's the one in focus in front of him in the center of the screen, and he's behind her. You know, it's these little things that he does like this that I, I astound me. And I was watching it um, between yesterday and today, and I was like. Holy fuck, I can't believe I didn't see this before. But it's it's such amazing um visual language that I it, it just it blew me away. The the other thing that for for me was something I didn't pick up on the first time, but I picked up on it again. Uh I picked up on it this time <clears throat> in Jeremiah's speech to her, where at first it's almost like he's putting on this performance 
for all of his cultists. And then when he gets in real close to her and he starts speaking to her more quietly, the echo fades away. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's just his voice and nothing extra. And we start seeing her face superimposed onto his face. Oh my God. And then it fades away and then it comes back. That's an old school trick. I mean, right out of fucking psycho. Right. But the way that it's done, it's almost as if like, he's like putting her in a trance and trying to make them one. Right. And, and that, that echo dying away, you know, it's almost like he's speaking directly into her mind now because you're not hearing it with your ear. You're not hearing that echo anymore. It's, it's direct connection, right? The direct connection that he's supposedly has with God. He's sharing that with you. And that's, that's great, you know, visual language as well as auditory language. Like that's, that's an amazing like use of, of sound in, in a way that you don't normally see in movies. And, and that's the, that's the way that he works. He works not necessarily as your like director saying, okay, you know, this is the way you're going to play the scene out. And now the cinematographer is going to do his thing and he's going to, you know, drive the camera around. He's thinking like an artist. He's thinking, what kind of brush stroke should I use here to better tell this story? Right. Uh, because again, it's not about the story, but it's how that story is being told. Uh, all you have to do is take one look at any frame and, and whatever color palette is on the screen at that time is going to give you a little bit of insight as to what's going on. And so, some of the best scenes in there are when you see those fluctuations in color. Um, it's absolutely incredible. I, to me, this is, this is what brings me back to the movie time and time again is, is his direction, the cinematography. It's, uh, it's incredible. What do you think, Ralph? And and what you're saying also is it's using technique for the audience, but not letting you know he's using technique. Like he, there's twice that he pushes in and it's so slow the push that you gotta look at the corners of the screen. I'm like, are we pushing in? Oh yeah, we are. <laughs> and it's it it's throwing back to old time filmmaking, uh to the Hitchcock. King Vidor, uh, Kukoc, uh, you know, Billy Wilder, where they would use all these different techniques, but they, didn't, they weren't throwing it in your face, like, look what I can do. No, it was subtle. It was to get you to feel a certain thing. It was to be, you know, like you're saying, all the things you're saying that, that Panos does here, it's not over the top. And it, it's not like a Spielberg, like, hey, look what I can do. You mm -hmm. know, that, that I, you know, I hate that, that old time, you know, directors did that a lot. It was like, this is about the movie. This isn't about me. Or look, this is my style. I have to do this, you know. And I think a, a director that does that nowadays is Fincher, and that's probably why he hasn't won an Oscar or doesn't get the recognition he deserves because it's not about look what I can do. It's about this is about the movie, and I think Panos is putting it out there. And all the things that you mentioned, uh, Dave, it's subtle. He's mm -hmm. using technique, but he's not showing you he's using technique. You know th those things, and you like you said, you saw it. Oh, the fourth time I saw this movie. That's what it's about. You know, it's not hitting the audience over the head with look at look at this new camera that spins or, or all this stuff that they do <laughs> nowadays or so much CGI bullshit that just takes you out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what what there's something about this movie. Also, it's very analog, very you could touch it. I mean, the blood is blood, you yeah, know, right. that big axe that, you know, we're and I know it's it's supposed to be 83, but it, it's just it keeps it real. And then when it goes supernatural, he goes to animation. 
So it's a beautiful mix, and it's not over over the top. It's kind of like what uh, Tarantino did with uh, with Kill Bill in the first one when he goes to, to animation. I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, so, you know, I like the subtlety. I like that's the that's the he's showing. You know, the film is the most important thing to the director, and, and it comes across because it's a it's a very well made movie, and the colors it's very primary. It's either red mm-hmm. or blue, or towards the end it's the yellow. It's that fire. It's mm-hmm. you know it's. It's great. I, I love I love the film, and I yeah. love the cinematography, and I love it when it's subtle like that. When it's like he knows what he's doing, but it's he's just pushing the story forward. My favorite thing about the cinematography in this movie is some of the choices that are that as soon as you see them seem so absurd, and then as soon as you're in the moment, like it makes so much sense that you've suddenly forgot that three seconds ago you thought it was crazy. The first, <laughs> the first, the first time that the, um, that the, that the cult sees Mandy, we're seeing everything through red, right? And you're like, that is, mm-hmm. that's, why is everything red? But then you get this, but then you get this amazing shot of her walking by where they, they do this thing where it's like, she moves and then it's it's like she's moving in two parts like she moves and then there's like this ethereal version of her behind her and mm-hmm. then it kind of catches up and then she moves again and 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 she she's moving in these parts and it and then all this and then all of a sudden like you're 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 no longer wondering why it's red you're just like living in this moment where you're a guy who just saw the most beautiful human being that that the world has ever presented you with. And, and, you know, it was, it was like the, it was like the thriller horror cult leader version of, of Wayne seeing uh, uh, Tia Carrera singing Dreamweaver. Right. <laughs> like, we, we were, we were living in the way that he saw it and, and he, he saw her and was taken by her and, and she wasn't just, uh, just a woman that he was seeing. She was this ethereal other being like nothing he'd ever experienced before to the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his own people to, to have her, you know, it, it, in that, you know, what it stretched out because it happens in slow motion, but you think about that happening in real time, she's walking by and they're driving. It's half a second. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a second, second and a half tops that he saw her and his entire life changed. And so when you think back on the way it was shot, you go uh, and, and presented, you go, well, this is the moment where the entire movie changed because we are living through these characters and his entire life was changed. And we got to experience how spiritual it was for him, it, the, the depths of his insanity notwithstanding, how, how otherworldly it was to just experience the fact that Mandy existed. Um, the, 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 the first time we see uh, the, 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 the demon guys like right up when they, they blow the, the ocarina made out what was that volcanic rock? I don't know, but I think so. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, and he blows this ocarina just out in space and it's like, what's going to happen. And then can, like, we, can we call it a, a, a Valkarina? There we go. Valkarina. I like it. Trademark. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so, and he just like blows this off into space and then you get this great moment where, yeah, they could have just showed up right away, but what do we get? We get this moment of extreme realism where some dipshit that's also in the cult is sitting there just rolling the window (laughs) up and down and obviously driving the guy crazy. And it's like, 
it's like, okay, so yeah, here we go. Here's the realism. And then it's like, oh wait, there's demons on dirt bikes, you know? And, and you're just, you're just assaulted with these two drastically different things in back-to-back frames in this movie. And so there, and then as they drive up, all we see are just headlights and we hear engines and we, you get like, if you've ever been out in the woods, when somebody's just driven up on you, like that, that's what you see when it's completely dark and somebody's driving up, you just see headlights and you don't know what you're in for. And so we get this great real moment of these people driving up again to just immediately be to turn around and be assaulted with the fact that, yeah, it's like, okay, I don't know what these things are. Um, the, the, the gore in this movie was crazy. Yeah. But yeah, still didn't feel over the top, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't an Eli Roth. Here's a bucket of blood. Cause fuck it. I got one. It was, <laughs> it, it was, it was, yeah, there's a lot of blood because that's what it would look like. If somebody progressively stabbed deeper through your mouth into the back of your head. Right. Um, you know, and like uh, when he first gets captured by the bikers, his hand is nailed to the floor. They don't show us his hand being nailed like the act of it happening. We just look over and see it. And then we're presented with the idea of how fucking bad it would hurt yeah. if your hand is nailed to the floor. And so there there's, you know, part of this goes back to the direct, you know, we talked about the performances and for everybody to be so on board, you've got to give a good amount of credit to the director who pulled all of this out of these people. Going back to the very top of the podcast, when I said we got every level of Nick Cage, this is a guy who knew exactly what he was getting when he put Nick Cage in this movie. And he was willing to bet it all on the fact that Nick Cage was going to come and he was going to bring the house. And, and that's what he did. And it was the director is who pulled all of this out. Um, the one other thing about, about the cinematography that we've been over and, and we, we've talked about it a couple of times, but man, that feel of the shift to go into the animated stuff, that, that is what takes this. That is what makes this movie that's next brilliant. level for me. It's, it's so smart. And it's, it's one of those things where if done poorly would absolutely take you out of the film especially because the art is is van art right mm-hmm. it, i mean it's yeah. it's big panel <laughs> wow. van art yeah. it's heavy metal magazine absurd art but the the live action stuff is done so well that i have no problem believing that this animation and this art is part of this mandy universe well, and it makes sense because this is the type of stuff that Mandy was into. Yeah. You know, yeah. She's, she's, she's always she's reading, reading the, pulp, the novels. Right. She's reading these like pulp fantasy novels. You know, her her drawings, her sketches, they're all fantasy, uh, you know, oriented. Yeah. To, to me, it felt like a like a natural um, like extension of, of Mandy. Right. Yeah. So like he's uh, red is like grasping onto anything he can of Mandy's and he's right. like, well, and this, this, this was her world. This is the way she saw the world. And I'm, I'm dreaming in this world. And it is perfectly bookended at the end of the movie where after the scene that I was talking about earlier, where you just see him in, in you know, all bugged out, he drives off. And we don't just get a camera pan over the car to like, you know, the, the, the sun coming up or just the moon in the sky. No, no, no. We get the camera panning up. And he's on another planet. 
And it's this perfect, like, secular storytelling that all goes back to that moment they had laying in bed where they're talking about their favorite planet and Mandy's absurdly knowledgeable about planets, right? And and he makes a joke. And there was a moment in that that scene where I we got we got just actual Nick Cage, not Nick Cage playing a role. Nick Cage, mm-hmm. the guy, when he's like, "I'd be Galactus because Galactus eats planets," right? Like that. <laughs> I can see just Nicolas Cage in an interview not doing a bit, giving that answer. Mm-hmm. But um, and we get it, and it's like, okay, so now not only does he have his closure, but now this guy is just he is living the rest of his life in Mandy's world. And that is the final scene that we get. So again, director, cinematography, just everything about that final shot was so good for looking forward into his life where you're just like, okay, she's not here anymore. So now I'm living for both of us. And it, 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 it blew me away. Like I, I was like when that final shot ended, like I just kind of sat there and watched the credits for a while because I could not believe how, perfect of a summation of everything that we just seen that that final shot was <coughs> i i really w- <coughs> wanted to mention some of the symbolism in this movie um you know which is i mean uh, cosmatos wrote the movie as well as directed so you know it's it's in there it's it's his it's his vision but you gave the two best examples those were the two examples i was going to give the conversation on planets you know her picking jupiter uh you know and she says the, the the hurricane has been raging on Jupiter for a thousand years and it could swallow the earth whole. Right. And if that doesn't describe red, I don't know what the fuck does. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so like her, her favorite planet is red, you know, and, and now Which red the, living, the red spot. Right. You know, and, and, and now red is living, you know, in her world. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful, uh, you nailed it, man. Yeah. Bravo. Well, and the ending is the book she was reading. Remember when she says the two yeah. sons? Of, it's yeah. exactly what that I'm sure Panos wrote that too. That fake book that she's reading. I'm sure he mm-hmm. wrote the, those lines, but it's it's perfect. It's fantastic. And and yet, because is this real life or is it kind of a fantasy too? I mean, because like what you were saying earlier is like, are those guys demons? Are they just bikers on acid? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. we don't know. Mm-hmm. And in the ending, it's it's a little bit of that. And it's, I just enjoyed the movie so much. I don't want to know. I'm all yeah. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm okay not yep. knowing. I've yep. I've never done acid, and I've especially never done acid and coke at the same time. But <laughs> <laughs> but I can only imagine that that if if doing acid and while doing acid and coke at the same time, that it would absolutely be possible for all of this to happen in your head, right? Because <laughs> you would you would think you pair the a hallucinogen and, and and an amphetamine like that. It's like, man, not only am I imagining things, but I am imagining them at the speed of light. <laughs> yeah, in my notes, I wrote down uh, hour and twenty four minutes. Put Scarface to shame. That's when after he kills <laughs> he the guy, he's just like, whoa, shovel, yes. and bam. <laughs> there was there was there was a moment when he was in the lair. Um, and he's fighting and, and I think he's on like his third, uh, demon biker guy. And he like flips over the couch and he's fighting him over the shotgun. And he just goes, give me my shit. And like his yeah. voice like yeah. cracks and he's like completely. Oh, no, out. It was, uh, you ripped my shirt. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's my shirt. shirt. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. You ripped my shirt. And he's like freaking out on the guy. And I'm like, God damn. I love Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Man, he's he's so good. There's um, 
in the the behind the scenes stuff on the DVD, you do see him talking to Cosmato saying, hey, what do you think if I do it like this? And you see him run that line by him and he's like, I love it. Go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, every 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 level of Nick Cage is presented at some point in this movie. Like this 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 movie is almost a love song to Nick Cage's career. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, Kowalski mentions. Uh, yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier that um, whether it was intentional or not, the chemist cooked up a bad batch of LSD. Right. And, uh, you know, I always got the feeling like maybe it was on purpose. Well, and, you know, and like I said, because I was like, OK, they're de oh, they're demons. Weird. Oh, OK. It's bad acid. Right. And but then like when you read like I was on the wiki, it like calls them demons. So I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm like, I've been back and forth a hundred times today on whether they're they're people, whether they were once people and they're not anymore. Like that, that yeah. whole thing is so weird. And it's like, I, he's, he's got a tiger and he's just like, you're right, man. And just sets it free. Like know, I, I love, <laughs> I love that scene with, uh, with the chemist. To me, it reminded me an awful lot of the scene where, Harrison Ford goes to see the biochemist in in Blade Runner, and uh, and 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 he 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 does the whole interrogation there, and and that whole scene plays out without Nick Cage ever saying a fucking word. Which yeah. I I rewound and watched again because I had convinced myself that I must have dozed for a second or something because the chemist started talking and I was like, I've missed half of this conversation. <laughs> and so like I rewound it. I was like, I must've dozed off for a second or checked my phone. And I was like, he's responding to a conversation that I don't remember anybody having. So like I rewound it. I was like, Oh no. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a, uh, he's, the, he's done so much cause he's mixing it with his hands. I was like, yes, and, like, and I, I think he's finger. done so much that he's operating on another level. So yeah. he's almost yeah. like clairvoyant. And then at the same time to take it into the fantasy realm, he's the wizard. Yeah. So that's yeah. what he knows, but it's great because yeah, he's having a full on conversation with Nick Cage. Nick Cage doesn't say where he's like, you're right. You're right. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Just, yeah. And here, open the tiger cage. Run free, Liz. You know? Liz like, yeah. <laughs> that that was another piece of, of symbolism that I loved, right? Before he puts on um, you know, my shirt, before he puts on that uh that number 44 shirt, he's wearing a shirt with a with a Bengal tiger, tiger on. Yeah. yeah, right. And so he releases this tiger. I always took that as oh man, you're 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 fucking releasing red on uh, on on Jeremiah, you know, because that's 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 where it is. That's where he gets where he's got to go. Also, frame that shot of the lights coming on in a in a path and then mm -hmm. ending with Nick Cage standing there in the left vest. Just frame that as a gif and hang that shit in the Louvre because that <laughs> that that particular shot was stunning. Like yeah. just the way that the lights came on and it just ends with him standing there, you know, covered in blood, leather vested up and, and just standing. I was like, yes, yes, please. More of that shot. <laughs> so um, one of the things that we always, uh, that we always do here on Shiver Ralph is when, when we rate a movie, um, we, we give it its own unique rating. That way, you know, because if you rate it on stars, right, it's like, okay, well, you're, it's, it's like putting up, let's say a five-star movie might be Psycho, 
right? Mm -hmm. And Psycho's five stars. But then maybe there's another movie like Return of the Living Dead, you know, which is clearly not Psycho, but it's fucking awesome, right? Um, you know, and then you say that's five stars. Someone's someone's going to scoff at you, right? So we like to rate these movies on their own. And uh, Debona, you and I had said this was going to be uh, Cheddar Goblins. Yes. Right? So so out of a possible five Cheddar Goblins, Ralph, how many Cheddar Goblins do you give this? Oh, it's definitely five. It's the full blue of all the cheese because <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's great. And and uh, something that we, we, we kind of touched on, but not really, it's if if you could put an acid trip into a movie, this is it. I mean, I think yeah. that there, it's nowhere near anywhere else or is going to get us close to showing you what an acid trip is. This is uh, that's this movie. So definitely five, uh, five goblins for me. I, I love this movie. <laughs> Daniel. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I kicked this around for a while last night. Um, and, and I kept and, and, and every time I've returned to this movie, I've liked it more and more. And I've only watched it the one time, but every time I've thought about it, every time I've been reading about it today, every time I've remembered something else. And, and now after sitting here and talking about it and just, just reliving how, how striking and how amazing this movie is. Um, and like I said, just if for nothing else, this idea of just letting me be in the moment and, and just live the movie and, and be part of this experience and just go along for the ride. This is an absolute five cheddar goblins, no way around it. Yeah. I, um, I was wondering if I could weasel in another six out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Candyman being the only one yeah. that we've done that with Can so far. Can Candyman got, got a six out of five. We kind of unanimously agreed on that. Uh, but I'll, 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 I'll follow the rules and I'll stay with, with five cheddar goblins uh, out of five cheddar goblins. I mean, how can you give it anything less than five cheddar goblins? Yes. Right. I mean, fuck there, there is, there's a chainsaw duel. Yes. A chainsaw fucking a chain, duel. A chainsaw duel. Right. And, and you're like, oh, motherfucker found a chainsaw. Hold the fuck up. You know, because he's, he's been unstoppable with uh with a fucking box cutter he's been unstoppable yeah. with a fucking axe and now he's now he's motorized oh <laughs> fucking forget and then the guy brings out a chainsaw that's fucking three times the size of his and it's yeah. like oh okay you know so he's he's working with with some uh superior craftsmanship here but that doesn't fucking matter right right because he's gonna get his ass or you know his his uh his, his chest handed yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has to be five cheddar goblins for me. Um, yeah. you yeah. know, and plus, if we could just take a second to just mention Ash the Williams fact, Williams would be proud of that. Ash Williams yeah. would be proud, Frank. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. While reading about this movie today, Cheddar Goblin has his own cult following. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's there's entire like groups that are like that are just that are just upset that are so obsessed with this movie that like. Cheddar Goblin is like their their power on high, right? And it's just it's a commercial in the movie. Like that's how striking and stunning everything this movie is. For some reason, they put this they put this commercial in there that he just happens to see, and 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 it and it sticks with you enough that it's our rating system. Uh, let's see, we've got another comment here. Hey, Andy! Our old buddy Andy Chacon says, this movie was made for Nick Cage. I don't mind Nick Cage being Nick Cage so much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, way to do Nick Cage, man. 
Yeah, I, I, I love that idea of someone sitting down and writing something mundane and, and very real world for something as outlandish as a film. Um, and the Cheddar Goblin is a perfect example of that, right? Like it's, it's a TV commercial, right? And these, these are normally the things that like you don't pay attention to in a movie. Right. Because it's like, OK, I'm, I'm not here for the commercial that someone is watching <laughs> in a movie. Right. Uh, I remember as a kid being like really taken, uh, like taken away by the the fake commercial for canine crunchies in 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was it was this thing where it's like, that's that's not a real song. I know that's not a real song, but I fucking love that. It's amazing, you know, and, and the Cheddar Goblin is, is exactly yeah. that, you know, um, uh, it, like the the trailers in the Grindhouse movies. Yep. You know, it, it, Thanks it, killing. it, just, it added it added an element of um, of world building there that that makes this feel like something lived in. Which was the where, the movie where the, uh, there's that commercial or uh, it's a show where the guy's like, I'll buy that for a dollar. Was that running? That's Man? Robo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it, it running, was I it RoboCop? Running, I think RoboCop. I was going to say RoboCop. Oh, okay. Make, that yeah. one's, and also there's um which is the or, one or that had the, a lot of is that is that Total Recall? I don't think it's Total Recall. No, no, no. It's no. RoboCop. RoboCop. Yeah, I think it's yeah. RoboCop. Yeah, it's still Verhoeven. But and also yeah. Verhoeven in yeah. uh, which is the one that uh the one with the bugs that had a lot of Nazi uh symbolism that people didn't like. What was that movie he did? Oh, Starship Troopers. Starship has, Troopers. Has, oh. uh, those com has commercials. I'm like doing that my part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he yeah, loves I just looked it up. It, it, is, yeah. it is Robocop. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a unanimous yeah. five out of five Cheddar Goblins. Unanimous Never, five yeah. out of five Cheddar Goblins. Um, so please make sure uh, for those of you that are, are listening instead of watching us live, why are you not watching us live? Come on and watch us live, interact with us. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, on, on Facebook live. It's, uh, it's all shiver pod, Facebook and uh, YouTube, our Gmail. It's all shiver pod. Yeah. And we, uh, we, we, we try to be as interactive as possible. So yeah. Thank you to uh, everybody. This is, this no. is the most uh, interaction from the internet we've had for a little while. So thank you to Timothy, Frank, Seth, Andy, uh, um, somebody at the top. It was another Andrew, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Harriman. Yeah. That's yeah, right. So thank y'all. If, if you, uh, if you enjoyed yourselves, uh, tell, tell your friends, um, uh, actually, I wouldn't tell anybody if you enjoyed yourself, but if, uh, if you enjoyed <laughs> us, uh, go ahead and tell your friends. Uh, if you didn't, this has been What's Up, Bro. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can find all sorts of different podcasts on the Geek Bro Network, like Mount Geekmore, uh, where uh, Daniel DeBona and myself uh, talk, uh, argue, and debate over a top four geek subject. Uh, Recently did uh, movie vampires and TV captains. That was very fun. Ooh. Very, very fun. Yes. Uh, the aforementioned what's up, bro, which is a fantastic podcast uh, seasons, comedy, fitness, a dose of Ellie, Pero let me tell you. Um, Kick flicks, crimacopia. Crimacopia is the newest one. We, uh, we, we all, we all stay very busy. 
um, making our <laughs> podcast. And uh, you can check all that out at geekbro.net. You can head there and you can find all of those podcasts. You get links to where you can, you can listen to them right there, get links to where you can download them. We can find us anywhere where you get your podcast. I mean, we're on iHeart, we're on Spotify, we're on uh, Apple. So anywhere where you can get podcasts, you can check us out. We are ShiverPod on all of those things. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, I, I wish I, I was a little bit more knowledgeable in uh, horror and I could come back. But if you guys hit crime or cult, you you let me know. As a matter of fact, I got, I think I was telling was I telling David I got a na- Nazi exploitation movie coming in the mail. Severin Films, three bucks. Can't wait. Nazi oh, by Pyro's exploitation. <laughs> yeah, like Werewolf Woman of the SS or it's something like that. It's an <laughs> Italian one. I think it's called The Beast Is Hungry or something like that. I, I don't know. I'll let you know. It's it Italian, most certainly so. is. Hungry for world domination. Yes, cannot wait to hear about it. <laughs> so on behalf of all of us here on Shiver, fright you very much. Go Braves! <laughs>